Blog Talk Radio. Sorry, hamsters, just got a little technical difficulty there on the connection, but we're back. This is your hempy host, Tyler Hemp. We're here to empower your hemposphere, and today we're going to cover a very important topic in the United States and globally, ultimately. Uh, I have a very special, intelligent, energizing, experienced, knowledgeable guest on today's show. His name is Patrick Moore, and if you haven't met him or heard of him, uh, he's an amazing, eclectic, and enlightening man, and uh, he's most certainly someone who's getting the job done as it relates to taking action in the world of cannabis and hemp. This guy is on a mission to empower the world, and that is exactly why we're so excited to have him on today's show. He's accomplished so many amazing things in his life, and he's still a young guy, but just to give you an idea uh, of what he's actually worked on, he, he's worked shoulder to shoulder with Jack Herrer, and uh, he's been on the front lines of the cannabis movement doing such amazing things for this community and raising awareness, educating people. Um, Patrick, it's so awesome to have you on today's show. Thanks for being with us. Oh, I am so honored, and what a very, very nice introduction. Thank you. Yeah. So just to kind of give the listeners that maybe haven't heard of you before an intro of, of your background, uh, we have had you on the show once before, uh, but you know we'd love to just get a brief uh, overview what initially got you into the hemp movement and what inspired you to be so committed to making a difference with cannabis and hemp? Well, in the late 80s, I'd read the Psychedelic Encyclopedia, and it had a great chapter in there about cannabis, and that really was the first kind of opening of my mind that there was something bigger behind the, uh, you know, what we were all sort of hearing in high school about about cannabis or marijuana. Um, and then I came to California, and in 1990, I met Jack Hare and was introduced to the idea in a very vivid way that hemp could save the planet. And that was the beginning. I mean, I immediately picked up the California Cannabis Hemp Initiative that he was working with, and in 1990, he was trying to pass the initiative that we're working on this year. So it's been a, it's been a long run, and I couldn't be more honored or, or stoked to have followed that path. There were several options I had at that moment, and uh I decided to follow and see what the what the hemp store was talking about, and uh, here I am, 25 years later, running my car on hemp oil. I eat hemp every day. I wear hemp from head to toe, and I am on the verge of introducing hemp in a very uh, uh, in a very liberal, progressive way back to my state of California. So yeah, right on. In a full arch. I love it. I, I really appreciate your tenacity, your energy. Uh, not only are you you know, really knowledgeable about hemp and cannabis, but you know a lot about other aspects and important areas of life. And uh, just such an all-around amazing guy. Um, you know, I, I want to get Thank deep you. into. Yeah, I want to get deep into the California Cannabis Hemp Initiative, otherwise known as the Jack Herrer Initiative. So tell us the overall crux of why this initiative is different than other initiatives, and, and what exactly is a ballot initiative? I, I know that's kind of a, a large question, but maybe we can break it down. 
All right, we'll take it back to 1911 when California became the, I believe it was the 10th or 11th state to initiate the ballot initiative process, and they considered that to be a very important way to sidestep uh, power and influence getting involved in politics in America. We're already, and there's always been that tendency that those who had the most money could get the Senate seats, could get their politicians into the uh, the governorship, and that way influence or manipulate politics against the larger population. In that, so in, and, and as a remedy to that, a ballot initiative was created where the people could sidestep Sacramento, we could sidestep the governor, and we could create our own laws. And that is, I believe, one of the things that's helped create this uh, image of California is being very progressive and being kind of different and the sort of unique people uh, look people have at California or influence they have or idea they have of it. I think a lot of that's rooted in the fact that every decade we've been able to sidestep traditional politics and make our own laws. I know that's what set us apart in the world in, uh, in the mid-90s when it passed Proposition 215. There was a bill that never would have made it past the first person in Sacramento. I don't know if we ever could have gotten one, much less uh, 10 or 20 sponsors for that. Same with the Jack Air Initiative today. We wouldn't bother. I wouldn't, if, if we didn't have the option of a ballot initiative, I certainly wouldn't be <clears throat> running around Sacramento trying to find enough senators to sponsor this bill in the, in the House. So it is an a incredibly valuable tool. It simply involves the process of collecting signatures. If we get enough signatures, we can place the ballot on the initiative, or we can place the initiative on the ballot in November and have it voted on, as well as the other issues that are on the uh, up for the vote. So it is, a, again, a very unique tool. Many states have it, but most do not. And as I talk to people around the country involved in this movement, in states where there isn't a ballot initiative, I admit I'm a little frustrated. I'm not sure exactly what to tell them because they can't take a very progressive piece of legislation into mainstream politics. And uh, so, again, it's really, really doubly up to us to make the impression and to make the statement that fair and equal access to cannabis is crucial and necessary and attainable in states where it is and at least put that message out and, and, and do it on behalf of those who don't even have the option to do it. Right. So <clears throat> thank you for that. That's a, a good summary of what a ballot initiative is and, and how important it is, especially for Californians. So how does this initiative differ from other initiatives? And, and offhand, do you know about how many initiatives there are? And what if somebody signs another initiative? Can they also sign this one? Tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. No, I kind of hinted at it in my intro. And the key difference to our initiative and the other 12 that have been introduced in California right now is we are founded on fair and equal access to cannabis. Hemp is only mm -hmm. going to save the planet if it's in our hands. If we allow hemp to be corporatized, if we allow hemp to be monopolized, the big corporations aren't going to creatively use hemp the way the average population would. So for us, the vision of success isn't just legalizing hemp, isn't just having cannabis available at 7-Elevens. It is retooling society from the ground up based on uh, a sustainable resource. What California could do with a sustainable resource, especially with the Central Valley having the problems they've had in the last 20 years, we could turn around 
and create one of the largest industries in the world in uh, biosustainable plastics, biosustainable uh, 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 wood pulp, and uh, which can be built into any type of build, build, uh, building material, uh, a sustainable fuel, and that's maybe the you know the second most important niche in this whole campaign. Sustainable fuel can be again I mentioned earlier as uh, running my Mercedes Benz diesel off of hemp oil, the seed from the, the oil from the seed is a perfectly viable diesel fuel today. And um, mm -hmm. we could be producing it in the Central Valley the way Texas or Saudi Arabia uh, pulls oil out of the ground. And with that, we can begin to change the world. And perhaps the most important single use of hemp is as a food source. So I always, you know, that's that's always the beginner and opener for me is the uh, the idea that the 20th century may historically be viewed as the century in which they tried to starve us or the century in which we all went, we became malnourished because we lost the central food source we relied on for hundreds of thousands of years to sustain our, 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 our species, hemp seed. And 100 years of not having that, our health situation worldwide is not uh, anything to brag about. And I believe the vast majority of that's related to essential fatty acid deficiencies, 3, 6, and 9 are oh, so crucial to the way our entire body works. And without that proper protein source, we're all dealing with uh, layers of uh, uh, well, issues related to malnutrition. So those are the pieces. That's why. Those are the whys we need to fight for this. Those are why California needs to be back at the cutting edge of this movement because we're seen as that, and in the medical aspects, we're still that way uh, in many ways. The, the leaders of the world in, uh, in, in cannabis research we we need to, as Germany and Canada and Thailand have, embrace the industrial side of it as much as we embrace the medicinal side of it. And that is a winning combination for the 21st century. Amen. So let's talk about cannabis in terms of the people out there that, let's say, they're really for hemp. They love the clothing and the food and the, the building aspects. But what, let's say that they have a fear about the psychoactive component of cannabis hemp. How, what could you say to, to somebody who uh, might have a fear around the psychoactive component, but they're for the industrial aspects of hemp? How, how does this initiative overcome some of that fear? Certainly, no. Well, we frame it, and um, the Jack Hare Initiative frames the personal use of cannabis in the, the, the same context to be analogous with the way beer and wine are handled in America today. So there's already psychoactive uh, substances around us that are culturally accepted, and, uh, and they're all, and then it's just it's a matter of research, and then they're all much more dangerous than cannabis. So if we're going to live in literally a drug-free culture where there's, you know, nothing's going to be used to change anybody's headspace, then that's a different argument. But if we're going to live in a culture where people are allowed to drink themselves into oblivion every weekend, and there's a very common practice in America, or they're going to do a, a myriad of other legal drugs, then cannabis has to be weighed in on that, on that scale. And when it is, when you look at it scientifically, when you look at it from an academic point of view, it is the least impactful, the least dangerous, the least, uh, 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 and really, and the high is a much more mild high. At the point that they they keep retesting cannabis against driving skills, and I found a couple of recent articles, and then there's a series of things 2020's done over the last 25 years, uh, a couple of different segments, all making the point on, well, what is the point in which a driver is impaired while using cannabis? And it is so shocking because the the rate of 
before anybody even begins to look like they're impaired driving behind the wheel, they've smoked 30 times what would be the first level of being buzzed. And when somebody's drinking, they get a buzz, and it's at double that or maybe triple that that they start to get impaired driving. But at double, triple that, nothing. At 10 times that, smoking, nothing. At 20 times that, smoking, 30 times few of the people started having a little bit of a hard time driving. So it's it's the level at which that high is the least impactful upon our actual actions that really has to, to, to be evaluated. And again, there's a, a demonization. The first casualty of war is the truth, as they say. So this 80-year war and a very intense 50-, 40-year war on cannabis it's involved more lies and propaganda than maybe any war in history. So it's, it's I understand that there's going to be people with fear out there. There's going to be people who have misconceptions or, you know, have these, these demonizations deep in them. And after generations now, and now we have grandmothers teaching generations that there's something demonic. They literally called it the devil's weed for a long time. So there is going to be some, some uh, learning curve that we're all facing coming back into a cannabis-friendly culture. And it's up to us to be educated enough and well-spoken enough and to share the good news about what we're finding out about cannabis all the time to reset culture. As much emphasis as we put on the propagandizing against us, it's going to be up to us to propagandize for us and put it in the context for those who, uh, those who just don't know. Exactly. You're absolutely right. And, and focusing on parents, focusing on children in the, in the way of education, you know, doing workshops and there's wonderful events going on constantly all over California and ultimately all over the world where people are now doing workshops on hemp building. And, and you know, uh, next year, April 2016, in uh, San Diego, there's going to be a cannabis village at the Earth Day event. So it's going to be the largest Earth Day event on the planet, expected 80,000 people, and they're going to have an entire cannabis village dedicated to education. So it is happening, or happening, as we like to say. And so <laughs> where can people go? Um, obviously, they can go to cchi2016.org, download this cannabis and, and hemp initiative, read it for yourself, Show it to your friends. Now, how can um, people start giving their signature? When is that going to happen, and how long do we have, and how many signatures do you require or are, are required for the ballot initiative? Fantastic. Now, we need about 380,000 signatures this year, which by our general standards, we then try to collect around 600,000 because uh, not all signatures we get are valid, and so there's a margin there which we need to uh, compensate for. So we're going to try to collect about 600,000 signatures this year. We start in uh, about a week. We're actually going to be hitting the streets October 31st with teams all over the state. Um, we, uh, it is very simple to get involved. If you go to the same website, cchi2016.org, uh, click the volunteer button and fill in your information, including your zip code, and we'll be able to arrange you or connect you with a regional coordinator. We have regional coordinators all over the state who are going to be getting the packages of, of petitions, and they're going to be doing trainings with their local coordinators and their, and their, their feet-on-the-street petitioners, and then sending people out to, the, to different events. And if you're in a, a larger metropolis, any big section, any big intersection, the malls, the corners of busy streets, any, uh, I mean, there are events happening everywhere all the time if you're in a, a bigger city or waiting for those weekend events when people get together at farmer's markets or at 
uh, you know, whatever the, the, the seasonal events are in your area. Um, and just introducing the idea of progressive and fair legalization. A lot of the cannabis movement in California has been telling Jack Hare and now all of us for decades that the California Cannabis Hemp Initiative is just too progressive for California. Very few people in the cannabis industry have been able to say, we don't like what you're talking about. We don't want to limit taxes. We don't want to limit licensing fees. We don't want to free the pot prisoners. So they say it's not reasonable in California to expect that. We have to be reasonable. We have to be uh, level-headed. And, you know, the, the housewives in Orange County and in, in Fresno aren't going to let you free the pot prisoners. They're not going to go along with 99 plants. They're not going to go along with uh, 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 limiting taxes. Well, in 2013, Field Poll, and that's the second largest polling company in the world and maybe the most respected polling company in the world, did a major poll here in California and it is cited across the board, the uh, uh, Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and, and, and all the other groups, the CCPR and uh, the, the, the Reform California, all these people cite this initiative, or cite this uh, field poll quite often, and it starts with they found out 55% of the people in California want to legalize cannabis, and that's a great sign. That's, that's, a, that's a solid ground to stand on in politics if you're starting out at 55%. The second part of the poll, nobody ever cites, nobody ever reads, and, uh, and I can understand why people running other ballot initiatives skip that second part. I've always had a hard time getting my head around why that and how uh, professional journalists have been able to skip the second half of a two-part poll. The second half says, would you then want to legalize using this initiative? And it was the 2014 California Cannabis Hemp Initiative. And the number went from 55% to 56%. So that so flies in the face that California isn't ready for progressive legalization. We're the only poll I know of. This is the only initiative I know of that takes 1% of the people out there who don't want to see cannabis legalized. But when they hear about the radical, the radical legalization, that's, you know, all the things that we are, they say yes. So I had the ultimate confirmation in 2013 because that was always one of those mysteries that we couldn't ever quite prove. We never had the money to put into a poll. Actually, one of the big newspapers in Santa Rosa paid for that one. And, um, and there it was, scientific fact that we're not too progressive for California. California might be too progressive for ASA and Normal and MPP and the DPA, who's been telling us for years, this just won't float. So uh, where they're having a hard time getting their wording and their concepts accepted by the California votary, we are not. We're finding out that, you know, California is progressive, just like we always kind of knew and thought it was, and that Jack Hare Initiative is a good fit for the state, that people in the state do understand enough about cannabis and cannabis culture not to be terrified of freeing the pop prisoners, not to be intimidated by the fact that everyone's going to have access to this market and it's not going to be controlled by big corporations to protect us from this once dangerous narcotic. That's the right. framework they use often, that somehow we need to be protected from this because it was once a dangerous drug. And uh, and that's just not going to work here in California. They maybe they'll pull that off in, uh, well, you know, Colorado or, or, or Washington or Alaska or, or Idaho. But in California, we know enough about cannabis and how important it is to our economy not to just give it away, not to hand it over to corporations and say, yeah, you take care of that for us, package us up and, you know, get us some Marlboro Greens at the 7-Eleven and we'll, we'll be cool with that. Uh, right. You know, we're, 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 we're Californians. We're not cool with that. Mm-hmm. So what about this concept of cross-pollination? And 
if cannabis is legalized in California for both recreational as well as industrial purposes or medicinal, what what is you know there is a concern out there that because there's you know the uh, the uh, Emerald Triangle and you know up in Northern California on the coast there there's a lot of cannabis growers and really a lot of California has a lot of cannabis growers for medical purposes and one of the biggest concerns is that the actual cannabis enthusiasts are the ones that are preventing an initiative like this from even going through because they're afraid of cross-pollination, meaning their plants are going to go to seed and the high THC content is going to be diminished, which is what they don't want. So can you kind of speak and shed light on the importance of of educating people about this and, and how we can overcome that concern? Certainly, no. There's great research being done all over the world today as these two major agricultural crops that are, you know, just so related to each other are evolving in unison in places like Australia and places like Germany. And there's a, 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 a so clear, clear guidelines are being set and are being found. And the, the general universal guideline that's being evolved right now seems to be a buffer zone of three miles and, and at, a, at a safer zone, 10 miles. So that zone between three and 10 miles seems to be the, the general understanding of a, a safe zone between a large, large-scale industrial hemp community and, uh, and the, medicinal, the medicinal farms California is so famous for at this point. There would be zero, zero impetus, zero uh, uh, incentive for anybody to go into the hills of, of Northern California and try to plan industrial hemp. It would be counterproductive on, on, on many levels. It's not that kind of crop. For places like the Central Valley and for places that are agriculturally based, it is the perfect crop. There's very little, again, We've uh, last few times I've driven through the Central Valley, I was heartbroken at the miles, almost as far as I could see, of dead almond trees, of these plants that aren't drought resistant, of plants that aren't uh, profitable to the level where they're worth farming anymore. And uh, hemp is always it. It's, it's a drought resistant plant that offers so much out of it that at, at no point does it become not profitable to grow. It's the highest profit margin per acre of almost any crop in the world. And offers us so, so much that the, the including the fixing of our soil, the hundred eighty years of a hundred years of a sort of a agricultural abuse the Central Valley has taken, much of that could be remediated and uh, and, and corrected in the next ten years with a large scale industrial hemp uh, uh industry growing out of the Central Valley. But the, mm-hmm. the, the fear, because you know, there's I've 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 heard many times that a, a, a hemp policy can travel a thousand miles or five thousand miles and on some technicality, that is true. I mean, it, it is like the, you know, it's almost like the butterfly wing on the, you know, butterfly flapping its wings on the other side of the world being responsible for a tornado somewhere. There is a philosophical concept that, yes, they have found a pollen seed that's made it from, but most pollen goes less than a quarter mile. So this this three to ten right. mile buffer zone is it is the safest of zones. It is you know as again uh, well studied academically and says hey this would be you know this is a a, a, a reasonable guideline. And I know that's so, something within the state of California we can find the balance of because if we can introduce yeah. uh, five to twenty trillion dollar a year crop out of the Central Valley. Growers in the state can go back to selling their pounds at six, seven, eight thousand dollars a pound, and nobody's going to blink twice at a hundred dollar and a hundred dollar eighth. 
if mm-hmm. we're producing $20 trillion out of the Central Valley that's making a hemp uh, uh, shuttles, hemp airplanes, hemp cars, hemp houses, hemp food. If we are like Saudi Arabia with a never-ending supply of the raw resource the world runs on, we'll become a very wealthy nation. It is my understanding mm-hmm. that the reason the price of cannabis has dropped so heavily over the last eight years is not because of legalization, but has more to do with the fact that our economy has crashed, that we've lost mm-hmm. more jobs and more industries in California in the last 10 years than at any point in history, and people are having a harder time surviving. What do they say? 40% of the people coming out of the college are going back and living with their parents right now. So many of the right. gauges of what's wrong with an economy we we we're, we're we're shouting you know we're 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 immersed in and yet we're mm-hmm. sort of pretending like you know the official media is not even calling it a recession anymore and yet by some mm-hmm. definitions we're in the middle of a great depression and uh and mm-hmm. so a way out of that is uh introducing a, a crop that offers because again it's an 80 billion dollar industry in northern and southern california in cannabis flowers but a wow. 5 to 20 trillion dollar industry in cannabis you know, the other 50,000 uses for cannabis hemp. Yeah. So the two will fit together about, in a very snug way. Beautifully said. We we have about four minutes left, and I believe we have a caller on the line. Let me see if they have a question real quick. Fantastic. Hi, caller uh, calling from the 310 number. Did you have a question for Patrick? Oh, well, this is Milan more. uh calling from CCHI, California. Oh, I'm happy to hear that Patrick uh, talking about these important topics, and uh, these are definitely concerns that, you know, a lot of the community has when we're looking forward to, uh, you know, building this model for legalization, and I, I'm just I'm thrilled and excited to to hear you guys talking about it, it's all good stuff. Um, I know right there's on. lots of questions, you know, people have, but I think what's most important um, is that we have, uh, through CCHI, uh, legislation that uh, protects and, and really uh, preserves the unique and diverse communities in California. Uh, for us to say that, you know, there should be some one blanket uh, standard for all the communities, I think in some ways is, you know, that's just doing us a disservice and that's something that I um I can appreciate uh with what Patrick is saying that, you know, we're 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 trying to uh create something that is able to fit all the different varying landscapes, communities uh, you know, in, in California, we have desert, we have lush valleys, we have mountain areas, and there's only one plant that can actually adapt to all those different, <laughs> exactly. different terrains and, and be, you know, utilized and to maximum potential. So mm-hmm. thank you for well, Thank you for, thank you for, for tuning in. Yeah, we just have about two minutes left, so I have one last question for Patrick. Uh, if there was one thing that you could offer our listeners today, obviously signing this initiative is essentially uh, crucial, but what's one thing that our listeners can do today to raise more awareness about hemp and bring hemp to the people, bring hemp back to the people? Well, right now I see the finest 
future in hemp is being California, getting its hands on it in a progressive way. So the biggest opposition to that is uh, is the uh, the cannabis legalization movement putting forward initiatives that won't put it in our hands. So right now, Californians need to get involved in the political process. We need to read all the initiatives that are on the on the, and most of them are are, are vanity initiatives. Probably eight of the twelve that have been filed are just there to to make a point. But the reform California perhaps a few others, they're worth really reading. And then once you understand that they're trying to take away our rights, they're trying to take away the rights we have right now in medical and then give us a very limited version of legalization that has very little access to industrial hemp or has very little access to being involved in the industry and recognize what that means for our future and weigh that against what we're offering and then pick a side and jump in and fight like crazy to protect your rights. We really need a... we need a community wellspring. We need a group that's educated on, to, uh, on, on the facts of these initiatives. And we can change the world and, and, and then ultimately save the world from the, the path we're on right now. Amen. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. This is your host, Tyler Hemp with HempAware Radio. Check out the past archived hemp episodes on the iTunes podcast library. Download this episode. Share it with your friends on Facebook, on your website. There's a, a place where you can embed the um, embedded onto your website. <clears throat> Go take action. Do something today and go make it happen. Thanks so much for tuning in and thanks for being with us, Patrick. Have a blessed day. Awesome, Tyler. Thank you. Blessings. You rock. <laughs>